This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Today, I'm talking to a man who last spoke to me on the two-part finale episode of One Heat Minute, a recovering journalist, a 90s nostalgist, a legend, and a friend, the great Chris Tapley. Chris, thank you so much for coming back, starting this old behemoth up that's had uh, a tarp on it in the garage one heat minute and coming back to talk to me about the release because today internationally is the release day of michael mann and meg gardner's heat two novel and i've talked to many times uh, uh in like a bunch of different ways that we're going to unpack the novel uh in the six parts over the six parts of the book that happened talking through it deep diving a bit of a heat two book club but I wanted to kind of give an overview and a bit of a review of the book out there because lots of people are excited about it. Lots of people want to hear, is it worth the read? Is it good? Is it, you know, heat is a sacred text to people like Chris and I. So it's like, is this thing going to be good? Am I freaking out about it? Chris, first up, were you excited when you heard the prospect of a heat two book? No. First of all, let me say, uh, thanks for having me back. Um, always a pleasure to talk about heat with anybody and especially you. So this was awesome. No, I was not excited. I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. I was terrified. How can you not be? I mean, I, I thought, why? I thought, I thought, I know Michael Mann knows every one of these characters so thoroughly that he could give us a 500 to a thousand page book on each of them. So it's not like I didn't think it wouldn't be thorough or, or even necessarily like worthy of, of 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 him obviously but just it's the kind of thing where when you when you go further than the thing when you go when you branch out from the document and you just cover the minutiae that sort of informs the document more and more does it lessen the impact of the document right it's what's happening with to me like with star wars and stuff like the more we explain this one little thing that happened in this one movie or whatever or one char- um, one character who was in the background of the cantina yeah, you know about yeah. guy. you're like I, I don't do i do i really need to know it, about this guy it's like yeah you can do that you can obsessively just keep peeling back the layers but it will it lessen the thing and that was sort of my fear um up and you know all the way up until the moment i cracked the thing open and started reading it you know, <laughs> like i was just like okay, here we go is everybody because at that point i heard some praise obviously and i was like are they in the tank you know uh whatever uh we'll see and even just the fact that it was called heat two yeah <laughs> you know, there's no subtitle or anything it's like heat <laughs> two i'm like oh man please don't be bad it was never going to be bad though uh it, it it you know it kicked ass but we'll get into that yeah i, I... So, no, no I, I was not excited but i was curious is the right word Thank God, when I was in New York 
for the Heat 4K, which is now also out at Best Buy. Um, you can pick it up in the States. Do that. Um, and it's going to be more widely available all over the place. Thanks to Jen Johans for securing me the Steelbook um, edition of that beautiful Heat 4K. But at the screening, they just put a pile of what's called galleys. If you don't know what that means, galleys is like the shorthand term for like a paperback version of the review copies of the book that they cycle out, an advanced reader's edition they send out to a whole bunch of reviewers or people who, um, uh, you know, are friends of man and friends of, of or, you know, people who've probably been involved in the project, et cetera. But they just put a big pile of them out there. And I remember being there and when I was backstage in the green room, I asked if I could get my hands on one and the pile, this gigantic mountainous pile of advanced reader copies, as you would expect at a frothy heat anniversary screening, just snatched them up. And so fortunately one of our friends, a hubby and wife partner partnership, um, uh, they, they like Connor O'Donnell and his wife, they had a copy each and I walked out and she goes, you didn't get a copy. And I go, no. And she goes, oh, no, just take mine. It's you. Like, <laughs> oh, you didn't get a I was like, thank you. So I've since poured over it. I was fearful, but way, way, way back. Like, if we're talking about, like, the evolution of Heat 2, on 100 and, episode 162, Michael Mann's former writing partner for the Heat 2 novel, Reed Farrell Coleman, who's a New York Times bestselling crime author, he was part of the show. Like he came on the show to talk to us. And so I'd kind of heard about it and percolating and how it was going to work and that it was going to happen in multiple time periods. And for anyone who was listening, kind of heard back then. So I was kind of excited about it. And when it kind of didn't come out then, that's when the fear started for me too. I was like, Oh God, like what mm -hmm. happened? What they couldn't crack it. That was my biggest thing is like they, they had the ideas, but they couldn't crack the story. But when mm -hmm. I got my hands on it and I finally just sat down the minute the, the greatest benefit for any film book, and I think most recently people would have had perhaps this experience reading Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization, is that all, so much of the hard work of visualizing who these characters are are done. I've lived with them my entire life. The moment that Vincent Hanna starts speaking, in my mind is the movie playing of 95 Al Pacino just delivering dialogue, and it's Casals, and it's Drucker, and it's like... And it's yeah. Val in my head is Christian Hillis. And I'm just like, oh, how, of course I'm going to love this. Like in, it's like, it almost didn't matter at that moment. But obviously then I think that the further I dived into the story and I think honestly, the second, the latter half of the book, um, the escalation of that excitement and that action pack stuff and these, and, and the kind of the way that it renders these images that are so quintessentially heat in your head and the movie for me played out in my mind while I was reading it. I was just like, I was in a euphoric state towards the end of the book. I had such, mm -hmm. I had such an amazing time. I flew through it too. Uh, three days, <laughs> three and a half days. I was, I, I could not put it. I looked down and I had read 120 pages one day. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and it's because of that rhythm that, you know, the characters, like you can just blow through us a, 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 a couple of pages of a scene because it's in your blood like you know this vibe you know this world that he's created you know these characters and their rhythms and what he what he established on film you know in 95 so it's like yeah it just comes second nature and then the question is is this going to work structurally and what i took away from it and first of all you mentioned the galley i got a galley too um yeah i, I reached out to michael's publicist 
uh, I was like, I, I got to read this. Can I please, 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 please get a copy? <laughs> and I've known her for a long time. She's a great friend, but she, she's like, I have a galley and she sent it to me. So I've been reading the galley as well. And this was at a time I mentioned, I'm specifically talking about that because this was at a time when a lot of press were getting the completed hardcover. When you read a galley, sometimes there will be well, often, usually I feel like nah, I could be wrong, but I just feel like a lot of them I've read there. There's like the little, Oh, there's not a period. There's a period missing. There's a word misspelled. There wasn't a single fucking thing about this book that needed to be edited. It was, it was ready to go, you know, hit the press for hard, hardcover. It was that, that kind of struck me because I kept waiting for something like that, but just some weird, like, Oh, there's a mess up. Nope. And of course he wasn't going to be that guy to have anything out of place. But what struck me about it and what I said about it immediately when I finished reading it was, it was like, I just got a chance to look, to just download Michael Mann's research. Yeah. And it had been structured in such a way. It was like, it was like reading a narrative dossier, (laughs) you know, like a dossier of all, like I could, it's just so full of all the research he did in establishing these characters. And we've all, we all know about his process and how he just goes deep on backstory with his characters. And to see that in a document, it just felt special because you never had a filmmaker do something like that, really. I mean, I can't think of anything like this where you're just given a front row seat to his brain on these characters that he's had in his head for decades. And that was what was so striking to me about it, just how, how complete it was. Yeah, I, it's, and it's also the, the rhythm of this thing, the, the kind of first few parts, it's a six part novel. It takes place immediately preceding the events of the heist because one of the main threads of the story is Chris Hairless, because he's obviously the only member of the crew that gets away. We get to see the fallout a little bit behind what happens um, from the heist itself and how robbery homicide are trying to tie up the loose ends and figure out what's going on and try and capture every member of the crew and try and figure out how they did it. And then it immediately sort of bounces into a couple of different time periods. 1988 is kind of where we start and we end in 2000. In between, we bounce around to a few different locations. Uh, We bounce around to, we pop into Southeast Asia temporarily. We pop out into South America, into Ciudad del Este, which um, people from Miami Vice fans out there, we've already been there. You've seen it lined with, uh, you've seen it lined with uh, styrofoam uh, <laughs> um, uh, empty boxes. You've seen um, Archangel de, who's, uh, de Jesus Montoya um, uh, bargain with uh, Sonny and uh, and uh, Tubbs. So you've seen it. You've se- you've seen these sorts of places, and you sort of see this great straddling between this kind of cowboy version of crime and heist and robbery to this like transnational uh you know dark web enabled new version of crime and so you we saw the natural evolution of it in some of his crime films where you look at like you know you're talking about collateral and then you as an assassin who's hired by a cartel to come in and take out witnesses and lawyers in a case and then you see it in vice you know writ large because you're you're in it you're immersed you see it in blackout how people are messing with you know soy futures um, so you kind of there's see, a lot of black hat in this. I'm sorry to jump in, but yeah, there's a lot of black hat in it, which yeah. I actually kind of enjoyed. Yeah, there is a lot of black hat, which I, but but none of Chris Hemsworth accent, which we can say is not in this book whatsoever. Um, so no. what what I might do, I'll just quickly hit people with the plot that's on the back of the galley, and then I've got to tell you guys a little. Um, you wouldn't be surprised, um, 
a nerd like me would do something like this with the galley. I'll tell you this once I read the back of the book. So, Heat 2 starts one day after the events of the film. Chris Chihalis, wounded in a deadly heist, is desperate to escape LA. The story moves between both the six years preceding the heist and the years immediately following it, featuring new characters, new worlds, high-end professional crime, with a cinematic action sequences. The venues range from the streets of LA to the inner sanctums of rival Taiwanese crime syndicates in South American free trade zone to a massive drug cartel money laundering operation just over the border in Mexico and eventually to Southeast Asia. Heat 2 explores the dangerous workings of international crime organizations with full-blooded portraits of its men and women. That is on the back of the book. I have completely destroyed my galley in the nicest way possible. I've taken, I've done, I've, I've what my friend uh, delightfully coined, coppering it, which is that I took this galley, I've torn it up, and I've now like uh, cut massive holes in several notebooks and started building exactly what Coppola did with The Godfather, which is like a notebook that I can write in the margins of because I started writing on a few pages in the margins for notes for our more extensive deep dive on the book. We'll probably go about six episodes taking you through the different parts. But Chris and I are just giving you the high-level kind of review today. But I, I, it, it is dense enough to do it. It's worthy of that. It has a lot of great great allusions to his films, great allusions to music, like, you know, it discusses music that's sort of like in the story and then funny little things and associations that happen with it. But what it ultimately has is just a phenomenal amount of stuff that when I was reading it, Chris, and I know you've read a ton of scripts too and written stuff like this. It's like when I was reading this, it was like a projector in the back of my head was going, the words that are on the page do not need to be here in a cinematic version of this. But when I'm reading it, it's like I'm cutting things away. I'm doing that thing that stripping these words away, stripping these things. And, and then it just feels like there's this living, breathing, you know, uh, proof of concept for a movie that is in our head when you're reading this book. And I'm like, totally. I would totally watch this. I would totally be it's, down for it. It's very active. Yes. Um, it, it, it just goes. So... I'm, so you're going to do six episodes, you said? So six parts. It's funny to me because like one of those parts is like, what, 10 pages long? I, I was like, why is this even a part? <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I mean, we'll, I'm sure you'll get into that we'll, once we'll, you we'll, start we'll doing thing. That. Yeah, we'll dive into that. But I just thought that was funny. It's But then the, the last part, and I know that you said you read it in three days. I was similar. I read it. I read the whole thing. I was doing this thing. I was commuting to work. I was throwing on a a heat playlist, which has all the music from the film. And I was reading it and it's only like a 35 minute train ride from my home station into town where I was going for work. And I was absolutely murdering that book. Like I, I did the same thing. I reckon it was like three and a half days and I was just reading it in my commutes. Cause I was like, this is the, the perfect time. No other distractions, no other projects going on, no other anything. And I, and it was only a couple of days, like a few commutes in, I was like doing you know, about 120 pages a day. And it was like, and then that there was one last time where I got home from my commute. I did everything at home, family life, kids, et cetera, other podcasts. And then I just sat back down in my office chair and I just read the entire last, like whatever 200 pages I had. I just sat in my chair and read it and it just escalated and sped up. And I think that if I was to talk about one thing that the book has to battle with is we do so much in like, the great text that is heat to wrangle all these characters together, to bring all these, 
divergent storylines together and then they come close to each other. And I think in some parts of the book, it's battling that resistance that you may naturally have for these people to move apart because you love the kinetic energy of as they're getting closer together, the stakes are higher. But one of the things I think the book manages so well is that they put these people in each other's orbit and the closer they are together, the more this thing just absolutely explodes off the page. And so for me, I, I absolutely loved that aspect of it because happening over multiple time periods, not trying to retcon stuff, not trying to tell us really crazy new coincidences that are, that are too much. You know, I feel like it's just right on the line of what you want to know these things, how you want to know these things are happening. But, uh, I, I just had such an amazing time. Those first, the first few chapters, these, these glimpses into the past feels definitely like man talking about, you know, these great crews, East coast to coast crews, crime crews that are thieves. Some of those people right out of thief, you know, it feels like a right out of a thief crew in the late eighties. And then you move into contemporary crime and the bridge of these two things. I think it works so beautifully. Yeah. I think I said something like there's nothing forced about it. Like it's electric, it vibrates and it's not, manipulated really into that place it's it's really just a result of a guy that knows a the people he's writing about b the world they come from and this is obviously so much of it is additive too because yeah he's got all the research he put into developing these characters way back when but he's pushing them forward into into uh you know new worlds and new new kind of crimescapes and so it's full of all the research he's done basically since he did he made heat you know what i mean like all, all of that is is a part of the fabric too and it just becomes so effortless um it's the shit man it it rules it really rules now yeah. this is the real question who the hell could possibly so at the beginning of this Obviously, there was a lot of news, which again, I'll reiterate, was a massive troll to the audience and then to the media that Pacino was like, it should be Chalamet that plays Vincent Hanna. And, eh, no. And Harry Styles to play Bob <laughs> was his joke. If you don't get that, that's a joke. I can't help you. Um, yeah. The one person that I, I think has been completely dismissed and wrongly is who the hell is hot enough and dangerous enough to play Val Kilmer? Who in the planet is that? Is that kind of guy? Because like, well, he's sorry. The character in the book, where he goes, this this intuition that he has, all these lessons that he's grown up with Neil. You see, so to see him break away and take the the you know, man describes Neil as this like, um, you know, Neil is a classicist and 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 and. Um, Chris is a postmodernist, like very intuitive, you know, adaptable. Um, but I just was watching him, you know, in my head, it was playing as Val, this young Val. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, if this thing ever does get made into a movie, who the hell plays Chris Ellis? It's a fucking tough hang. It's a I, I kind of have, I have an idea and I don't know how this would be received given, given our joke a moment ago. I feel like it kind of can't be anybody but Chris Hemsworth. I mean, he's got the the look. He's got. He's obviously working, Michael. Um, I could see him 
very much again under the wing of Michael Mann. He doesn't I could he, see him in that part really well. He doesn't need the size. He needs to go back to his. his he can drop body. that down. Yeah. He just he, yeah because he's a super lean, muscular guy. But that was the thing that struck me is like, he's a guy that when he takes off all his hair, he's still like striking. But yeah. Totally. You know. I don't, I don't. I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. I was going for like, because I'm such a big fan of him. I think like Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch has got a touch of the, the uh. young Chris Chehalis. I was just trying to think 50s, 40s, and 50s. Who's in that in that pocket where you can believe that they're that? But maybe maybe Hemsworth is closer to that. I don't know. Like I was just thinking like Kitsch, someone who's dangerous, unpredictable. Um, can sort of say a lot without saying so much. But yeah, it's a really, it's a tough hang when you start thinking about it. The only thing I'm saying, and with the greatest respect to things like the Irishman, I just do not want to see digitally de-aged Vincent Hanna. I just, and, and I don't think, or digitally de-aged in here, I do not think you can actually do this movie if you were doing it as a digital thing. I think you need to liberate the movie by allowing other people to play these great characters. And even if you pluck them off a Washington sh- stage like Robert Prosky and Thief, like you need to... You need to find guys who can do a version of these roles that aren't slavishly wed to the movie in some ways. Because, you know, you have to take, you have to have the Stones Coppola style to go like, yes, we can cast a younger actor to play Marlon Brando. Like, we can. They don't have to be exactly the same. They don't have to look exactly the same. They just have to have the essence of that. What makes it so tricky is the stuff after, after the movie. Yes. I mean, you know, five, five years after the the events of the movie you're gonna want them to look like what you just saw but uh that's tricky so that's tricky so I, I, don't, I don't imagine michael would ever do a <clears throat> performance capture thing visual effects deal i don't but i don't know maybe he would so he's working with uh, adam driver now i feel like adam would be adam can do anything <laughs> literally I, I feel like he could find his way into that yeah like and you, you gotta be up for it too that's the other big element here if you're gonna make a michael mann movie you gotta be up for it you yeah. gotta be and that's not every actor i think that could that could survive what you have to do to 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 work in a michael mann movie like the headspace you have to occupy and just the commitment you know yeah that's why there's they are a tough hang for the actors and it's like even someone was like I was thinking about Donnie Brasco and I was like, oh, maybe Colin, like Colin could jump in there as a Vincent Hanna. I could totally see Colin Farrell as a Vincent Hanna. I could see that. But again, I'm going to the pool of, I know these actors have all worked with Michael before and they'd be down. Like he'd make them go live in Chicago for seven months and, and work, work at the, the IUD, whatever the, the uh, IC, Look, um, those kind of things. I think Colin Farrell would be a good young Neil. Yeah, both. Either. I mean, because he's basically doing De Niro in the Batman. I mean, that's like his penguin is like got some De Niro going on there, right? So, yeah. like, I think the point is he can clearly tap into that. Yeah. And he's very, uh, he's chameleonic in a way. So, I think that could be cool. Who, who gets the, I, I think they should just cast, uh, uh, oh, fuck, Shaharless, not Shaharless, uh, Chirito. Um, who's the young, who's our young Tom Sizemore? Who's our unpredictable? Tom Sizemore. What my joke was, they should just cast Tom Sizemore. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> he's, he's always, he, this guy was basically born with like 
two days of stubble on his chin. <laughs> so he's always been this guy. <laughs> Tom, you need to I mean, if you can have Danny Trejo play Danny Trejo, why not just have Tom Sizemore back in the in the role and he just never aged? Or he, he's always been what he looks like. <laughs> so without giving too much away in the spoiler territory, the 1988 segment of the film, uh, the <clears throat> 1988 segment of the book takes place um, and in and around this takes place with Neil's crew who are a coast to coast crew. We start to see them doing jobs. We're seeing them work in multiple locations, scouting out things. We see relationships with characters that we already have established. Um, uh, if, if people were wondering what Neil's relationship is with people like Kelso, um, you'll find out what that happens. You'll find out, you'll see, you'll get to see where Nate and Neil were at. We'll see how the crew was working across. We'll see different iterations of that crew um, and how that's going. And then you also see Vincent. We'd always heard about Vincent being a Chicago detective. And I think, um, uh, I think a few of us had hypothesized, you know, we hear Nate say, this guy took down Frankie Under and his crew in Chicago and he was a fucking maniac in the original heat. And we're imagining perhaps we're seeing Neil take, uh, Vincent take these guys down, but it does introduce us to a whole other, um, kind of metaphysical presence that is in this book. And I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but there's just a presence in this book that starts to connect these different divergent crews together. And um, I have to say the thing, one of the most heartwarming things for me in the entire book was as we go back to 1988 and as we meet Vincent Hanna, we find out that he working as one of the lead detectives in the Chicago division basically where Charlie Addison came out of, basically where Dennis Farina came out of before they became script consultants and some of the greatest actors working in American films. Um, but also we get to see that a young Casals, so Wes Studi's great character, is in Chicago with Vincent and then makes the move to LA eventually to robbery homicide division. So when I was seeing that come together, I was like, I love this. I love that Casals, this stoic guy who's always the straight man to Vincent's chaos, you know, playing with a gun while he's telling Hank Azaria that Ashley Judd has a great ass. Um, I, I just, I love that he was in the story for much longer. It was one of those things that was like, oh, this makes total sense. And I love that, like, he brought Casals with him because he's like his closest friend. And it's that, it's that great moment in the truck when, when they, when you see the infrared of Neil's face and he looks around to Bosco and he looks around to Schwartz and they're both like, I don't know what to do. And he looks at Casals and Casals shakes his head like, no, don't take him. It's like, that gesture now has a decade of experience of those two guys working as partners that informs it. And that, that, that warms my heart. Cause I've always thought, Oh, well they must've been partners for yeah. years, but it's like that detail is like, you can totally tell man is like, he looks around and he, when he's explained to Vincent, why he listens to Casals, I'm sure on the day man's like, well, you guys have been partners for 10 years. You worked in Chicago together. You took down big scores. And I just love that. Now we can, we, we can know that as Canon. It's a, it's a really fun, really fun part of the book for me he's, he's got his back so thoroughly yes. you know like their, their operation is so smooth um i love that element too yeah it's just their partnership and, and how they they are on the same page at every beat i also loved <clears throat> again i don't want to spoil anything i'll just say fiji the fact that there are things when you do stuff like this where you want to connect you want some connective tissue with something that was profound in the thing that you're writing a sequel or a prequel to or whatever. And the way man does that in this book, it really did make me a little emotional. Yeah. I was like, it was profoundly done. 
And it gives you a whole other layer of understanding Neil in the movie Heat. Uh, and I guess I'll just, yeah, at the risk of spoilers, I'll just leave it at that. But it's just, that's a trick. That's, yeah, there's one thing to take all of your research and just say, okay, and then this connects to this. Look at this cute little bridge that I've made between these two things. But he does it in such a way that sheds light on the you know the, the film in new ways and, and deepens it and i did not anticipate that i did not anticipate a document that would make me love my favorite movie even more also some context about chris and charlene that i think had the same impact on me that what you're talking about with neil absolutely the getting to render the fire the fire the between, fire between them is oh amazing and, 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 it, and it really carries into the new movie and just what they're into the movie and what their relationship is in that movie you know it's 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 a burned out relationship of a sort in the movie and because you can't burn you, the see what, you can't burn yeah that exactly <laughs> exactly and it's good it's good stuff and what, what would you say it's so hard when people have been saying it's action-packed is this and that and that's one of the things where I'm like, oh, it's great action. And I'm like, yeah, look, there's great action in books. I'm not going to say that there's not great action. Cinema as a visual medium obviously has the luxury of like, you know, you can render it in such a way that you're, you're, you're elevating it with writing and the scripting and the staging. And then you've got something that's a visual thing that's in front of you that can be visually impressive. And then you've got the music. And so you, you kind of got this huge cocktail of intoxicants that like, I feel like, you know, in a book, it sometimes doesn't render unless you've got a very great visual imagination. But God damn it, there's a couple of action sequences and layered action sequences on top of each other. And especially, you know, sort of what, what is one of the centerpiece action pieces of the movie and then and the climactic action piece in, in sort of the same structural way as he, that I was like utterly blown away by. It was incredibly tense. I felt like I was turning the pages like someone joke reading. You know how they're like, they're like, shump, like reading, shump. And I'm just like turning, like I'm like, I was flying through it. I was just, I was- Can't read it fast enough. Couldn't, I was like reading everywhere. Getting through has an amazing, a couple of really amazing action sequences. Again, littered with all of the beautiful tradecraft that we love. Um, but I will say like proper, I was so satisfied and I'm not gonna say anything about the ending but I can't tell you how satisfied I was with the ending. I I'd like, even the final sentence. Like the last page, yeah. Last page of the book. Like everything that leads up to it. And then that last sentence, I was like, he did it. He did it. He Son did, of a bitch did it. Son of a bitch did it. Like he didn't. I don't know. I, 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 I'm getting a little bit choked up thinking about it, but I'm just like, I can't believe <laughs> that they stuck the landing. You yeah. Know, that, that, and, and props, by the way, props to Meg. Meg Gardner who, helping. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what, what the, what the roles were here. Obviously the, the book reads like a Michael Mann document, but I'm, I, I, you know, she had to have just a huge hand in making whatever this was that was in his head work as a piece of literary narrative fiction. Yes. And that's a whole trick. And, uh, you know, so I just, don't, I, I wanted to make sure I said that props to her. Yeah. Cause you can tell, you can totally tell where like, where there's like a stream of consciousness ideas from man. Like he's just, he has, he he's a living dossier of these characters and he's like throwing these ideas into the page and then the connective tissue 
and the structure and then the beats and then some of the more deep dive digressions into these different parts of the story i could totally feel it's like this is more languid fiction writing this is where someone who's got a lot of like they're taking a detail and they're running with it um you could totally there was a nice harmony i think i don't i don't think it was like two different voices that were not complimentary i feel like it worked i feel mm. like it really worked and totally. as, massive props to meg because again what a fucking daunting task whatever the writer is it's like i'm terrified Here's Michael Mann, and arguably his most famous and fan-frothing movie, like a true crime classic. He's coming back to revisit it. It has all these iconic characters, iconic lines, iconic beats, and I want you to help me craft it and put your name on it with me. It's like, Jesus, I don't want to be responsible for this in some ways. And certainly the one that he cares the most about. So it's, uh, yeah, daunting. And I also wanted to say you were talking about the action sequences, the big climactic sequence that you'll get into uh, with your series takes place in speed country, man. That's right where the bus was doing its thing. I just want to say that <laughs> as a speed guy as well, I just had a big smile on my face during that whole chunk. If you go back through Chris's wonderful Twitter where he um, uh, showcases his absolutely outstanding vhs collection i'm sure you can see a recent <laughs> viewing of speed on vhs and some chill no out there so that's a that's a good one see that's why we'll dive in because and that's why i've you know uh i've i've dissected um uh this this book because i think that i feel like there are some really fun things to talk about and fun influences and fun um you know because <clears throat> it feels like it it feels, while it feels deeply contemporary with, you know, man's kind of modern films, the collaterals of the world and those things, it also has a tremendous amount of, you know, that anchoring in, you know, this physical filmmaking, this huge filmmaking and what man has been sort of talking about is like, if we're going to make this, it's going to be a, a gigantic movie. It has to be a gigantic movie. There's no, it's not a TV series. And it's not this, it's a gigantic movie that takes place over multiple time periods and things are interweaving between those periods and, and playing out. So it's going to be so fascinating to see how they actually execute on that. But man, I, I, I had a, um, I had a terrific time reading it and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does it. And I feel like it's like this weird retroactive thing of like, I'm going to tease that we're going to do a book. I know that no one's going to give me the money that I want to actually make the thing in the way that it needs to be made but we'll write the book and we'll prove that it's an international bestseller and that it actually is really great. And then someone will hopefully give me money to make the thing. Yeah. And by the way, it should be said, I'm, I, you know, props to man's team and, you know, publicity team, just the rollout of this thing has been an event. Yes. That it kind of needed to be, I guess. Yes. Otherwise it's just like, Oh, this thing comes out. You know, he had a CBS Sunday morning piece the other day. Uh, I don't know what Don Winslow is getting paid on the side, but God <laughs> bless you, because he, he is just every day got more love. And and he writes about the, the world of this book very much, too, by the way. So it's a great spokesman, spokesperson for the for the for the book, in a sense. But I've just been really impressed with the publicity rollout for this book. And uh, so just hats off to that whole team. Yeah. And getting it in the hands of, you know, sometimes you don't want the book to go to the normal channels necessarily. You want people who are fans to like get their hands on it, which is why I'm extremely glad. Thanks to man's team, particularly um, man's publicist, Mara, who's, you know, been in his 
you know, been his champion for many, many years. Um, she's done an incredible job with his career. Yeah. Like she's just, done an incredible job she's with a, situating him. She's an amazing person. And I'm so glad that I've gotten yeah. to interact with her over this time doing all of our crazy shows, but I've had such a fun time at seeing it pop up in the hands of people that I want to see it in the hands of, you know, I'm really good friends with the author, Sean Cosby, who people would know as S.A. Cosby, you know, best-selling author of things like Razorblade Tears, Blacktop Wasteland. I've seen it in the hands of, you know, well, I, I was in New York with Jordan Harper, another terrific crime writer, Priscilla Page, who's a great internet presence and champion of these kind of things. Like when you see it pop up in the hands of the people that you really want to, like you want them to have it and they get it and they consume it and they enjoy it. I'm like, I can't, I couldn't wait for all of that. So, um, but I know that, you know, I, 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 I promised Travis Woods in the 165th episode, one episode before I spoke to the man I'm speaking to today, back in July, 2019, this is how long ago it was that if there was ever a two, I would bring COVID pre COVID the before times. Before the dark before times. I keep saying this, before the dark times, before the empire is basically what I keep saying in my head. I can't get that line out of my head. Um, but I, I promised him I would come back. So again, I just want to thank Chris for coming on because if you know how much Chris loves this and is such an aficionado and a, you know, a real curator of like some of the best, that last breath, I guess, of true classic blockbuster Hollywood filmmaking and really the peak I think is the the kind of 90s um but who, who knows it and loves this movie to death as much as Chris and you know me who has dedicated his life to this thing um for me to not be disappointed instantaneously with this kind of sacrilegious act of like having something else out there that is a companion to it I was just so pleased and so thrilled that it was a shift of medium I was so pleased with what I got to see deeper um, and I feel like they really, you know, like you said, it's like everything that man has wanted to, to have out there in some way has helped him inform and craft this thing. All of the little vignettes and bits and pieces that you get to acknowledge throughout the way. I think it was really expansive and great. And man, just hearing these characters talk more in your head, like a lunatic playing Al Pacino in your brain or Robert De Niro or Christian Ellis, uh, uh, sorry, Val Kilmer or Tom Sizemore and, you know, the the characters br living and breathing in your mind as you're, as you're reading it, whether you're writing on your commute or whether you're reading it in your, on your couch. And yeah, it was just such a thrill and I had a really great time and I want to thank you so much for coming on and have a little chat about it. But as I said, we're going to do a six part episode. I'm going to let Chris come back when we're in speed country to uh, unpack some of that <laughs> at some point. We can deep dive and do some, get spoiler heavy and talk about the different things in the book, but we'll talk about that. We'll do our little six part mini series and then, uh, and then we will, uh, we'll keep our modern man campfire stoked in uh, Miami nice with Katie Walsh and I, as we keep moving on. But look, man, thank you so much for coming to chat to me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, dude. So good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we didn't even talk about the villain of this book, by the way. No, we're saying, is, I, 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 we'll saying, save it, but he's fantastic. My God, my God. True. Who did you picture the whole time? I, I, I have to be honest. I pictured Wangro the whole time. I just couldn't I, get that image out of my head. So I had obviously had Wangro in my head. That's it's kind mm -hmm. of impossible not to have him in your head. But the yeah. actor, the actor I had was Yorick Van uh, Wagening, who's uh, who who plays Niels, who's uh, Liz Salander's guardian. In he plays. Um, the bad guy in black hat and he plays the oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. abusive therapist. I had that guy in my head, just like the physicality of him. 
um, because he, wow. he was kind of grotesque. Dragon tattoo. Dragon tattoo guy. So, yeah, and yeah. He, he's a phenomenal – and he plays the bad guy in Black Hat. And I had him in my mind because of just his physicality, the way that he's described. But, yeah, there's a – there's a centralized villain in much in the same way that Wayne Goh, um has a presence, but in a way more pronounced, active. It's not this like metaphysical thing. It's a literally a a a, a villain of the book, if you like. I've tried to stay away from it because it's so good. It 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 yeah. it just I don't know. It completely we'll cut all this out if you have to. No, we're not going <laughs> to cut it out. We're just going to say there is a villain. There is. It's not just a. It's not just showing you know that Vincent and Neil were secretly following each other in 1988 and some BS, right? Like it, 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 that would have been so trite and awful. And um, I won't mention the shows that have consistently done it recently, <laughs> um, but I'll just say, yeah, there's a villain in this who I was just like, wow, whoever gets to play that is going to have an absolute ball. They're going to yeah. have a ball. They're going to have a ball playing a true blue, ruthless psychopath. <laughs> just a despicable son of a bitch. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very, an incredibly well-rendered, despicable son of a bitch in every way. Every room he's yeah. in, every outfit he wears, every action he takes, every turn of dialogue. Really well-rendered, awful, awful villain. Completely suitable and, and, and beautifully um, made for this canon. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show again, my friend. Always a pleasure to talk. Yeah, to you. dude. Great to see you. You're one of my favorites. You too. I can't. For life. <laughs> and, and you as well. I can't wait to talk about this more with you. Hold it! I was just uh, earlier today interviewing Dennis Leary for something. Yes. Uh, that, that I'm writing. And... Uh, it's an oral history about a, a movie from the 90s uh, that will hopefully be out uh, in December. But um, we were I was just like, give me the chronology here. Like, how did you get involved? And he was like, well, I took a meeting with Michael Mann about heat. And of course, I was just like, tell me more. Now, I don't know. Is that news? That Dennis funny. Leary took a general meeting with Michael May. It, was, it ended up being a general meeting, he said, because like there was no way he could do the movie. Um, and and uh, <laughs> and I was just like, I was locked in on this. Like suddenly, what I was talking to Dennis Leary about did not matter. I wanted to just hear more about this, and he and he just loved Michael Mann, and Thief was like one of his favorite movies, and and so he just took this meeting. And uh, but I just I, I never knew that. I never knew that Dennis had met with Michael Mann about one of the many parts that were open still at that time. And he of course would go on to work with De Niro um, and wag the dog. And uh, when they were gearing up for that movie, or maybe it wasn't quite, they were gearing up yet. Like he, he had worked with Tribeca films on something else. So like he was talking to De Niro at some point, he thought he was well done with the movie at that point. He's like, what you been up to? And De Niro's like, I'm still fucking shooting heat. <laughs> <laughs> so D Dennis was like, Oh, maybe I could have, maybe I could have done it after all or, or <laughs> squeezed it in because of just man's process of just like, he'll keep pushing if he has to. And, and the schedule is what he wants it to be. But I just thought that was fascinating. I was That's like, man, nice. imagine Dennis Leary somewhere and he, he would have fit. He would have fit. He's got the face for it and the fucking attitude. He absolutely, that time of his career too, he was like still ang like angry Dennis. 
There wasn't like mm-hmm. more reflective Dennis. It was angry Dennis. You could totally <laughs> yeah. slot him in. He was that would no been cure great. for cancer, Dennis, in 1995, <laughs> alongside Hank Azaria and Henry Rollins. That was perfect, perfect. If you say those names, Henry Rollins, Hank Azaria, and Dennis Leary, it's like there's no beat. Like there's no not there's no one of these things is not like the other. It's like no, it's perfect. What are you talking about? It sounds like a, it sounds like a Tonight Show roll call from like 1996 <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's, it's like tonight on. The Tonight Show. We've got Dennis Leary and Henry Rollins. Oh, that's so fantastic. I'm gonna, so I, I thought you'd love that. I'm going to tag that as the back of this episode and just call it a nice little <laughs> bonus or something. That's so fantastic. You're the best. Love you, man. Thanks yeah, man. for on this. Talk love to you, you too. Talk to you soon. Peace.